Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Lead Volunteers Podcast. My name is Josh Denhart. Super grateful that you're here. We are excited to help you as the ministry leader, number one, get organized. Number two, stop the revolving door of volunteers. And of course, number three, prevent ministry burnout. One of the great ways that we feel that you're going to succeed at this is by multiplying yourself as a ministry leader. That is what I think is the key to all ministry success. You've heard me say it a hundred times. Success in ministry is not what you do. Success in ministry is what happens if you never came back or if you took an extended vacation. Listen, if you can't take a vacation from your ministry, well, we've got our work cut out for us. Well, we have a special guest today, Mr. Mac Lake. Thank you, Mac, for being with us. Josh, great to be with you today. Well, I'm grateful. It says here, uh, we're talking today about developing a plan for, uh, excuse me, developing a passion for developing volunteer leaders. So tell us, before we jump into developing a passion, for developing volunteer leaders. Tell us just a little bit about yourself, what you do for a living, how you got where you are and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, my quick journey is, uh, was always, I mean, from the time I was saved, passionate about ministry and uh, went, ended up going to Moody Bible Institute, eventually Dallas Theological Seminary, um, uh, worked as an associate pastor for seven years and okay. then I plant, planted a church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, pastored that for seven years. Uh, then I went to Seacoast Church, where I was the leadership development pastor, a large multi-site uh, uh, church. Uh, did that for seven years, Josh. You begin to see a pattern. Yeah, that's and, funny. Uh, yeah, and then uh, I went from there and started a church planting network, uh, which uh, about five, six years into that, uh, the North American Mission Board uh uh, took our, our system and embedded yes. into the uh, Southern Baptist system. And so they're using our uh, church planning system today. And so uh, eventually, uh, a few years later, uh, all my children moved back to Charleston, South Carolina, where okay. my wife is from, and they had pretty much grown up. And so I looked at her and I said, hey, what would you think if I quit my job, started my own company and let's go be grandparents? So I started Multiply Group in 2019 and uh, we help churches develop an intentional leadership development strategy so they can raise up more and better leaders. So like you're a multiplier, you're educating people how to multiply themselves in a ministry context. Exactly. So exactly. we're friends right from the get go, right? <laughs> we got a lot in common. We do. We do. Well, I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored to have you here. And what's exciting is you, very similar to myself, right? You developed a strategy to manage your very own workload as a ministry leader, right? You were kind of the, the developer of, of healthy systems within a local church. Uh, that was successful it was transferable and then all of a sudden somebody else was like hey man could you help do that for us and that yeah. that's how it starts out doesn't it it does it does yeah it's it's here's what i've learned when you make leadership development intentional most people don't most right. people are doing leadership development intuitively 
And uh, not that that's bad, but they need to identify what their intuition, what they're doing through their intuitiveness. And so once you make leadership development intentional, that's when you can make it reproducible. And I always say, once you make it reproducible, it's unstoppable because now people can carry it forward the way you you train them. Now, I want to push pause on everything because what you said is very, very, very important. I love it. You said something really powerful. You said when you... Most leaders, which you can have some exceptional, really mm-hmm. great leaders, and they are leading intuitively. It's just a gut right. feeling. They know where to go to the right. They know whether to go to the left, and they just know what to do. But you said that's a great start. But if you can codify maybe right. and, and, and make a system that is yep. repeatable for somebody else, because you know it's like a juggler. It's like, well, I just know how to juggle. Well, yeah. Okay, well, well, like there's a, like you ha- that first ball, you have to do it a certain way. Can you tell me how to do that? And they're like, well, I don't know, man. I just know how to juggle. But what yeah. you're doing is helping people make a process and be intentional and understand the system and understand the steps, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, it, it, it was interesting when I was, uh, when I was a young man, I was always told you're not a leader, you know, you're not a good leader, Mm -hmm. you're not a leader. And I read John Maxwell's book, uh, Developing the Leader Within You, and I believe it was chapter two of that book. He said there are uh, natural leaders and there are learned leaders. He said the advantage that a learned leader has over a natural leader is the learned leader knows why they do what they do. The natural leader does not. So I always tell those natural leaders, stop reverse engineer yes. why, why you're good at what you do. So identify what you're good at, identify five proficiencies of what you're good at. And there you just codified it. Now you can teach somebody else how to do what you do. That is so, so, so true. And you know what? What's interesting is that most natural leaders, they have a very difficult time identifying the steps. Oh, they really do. They really do. Yeah. From, from what I understand, uh, this is what a friend told me that, you know, Andy Stanley's a great preacher and, and uh, a friend of his said, you need to write a book on preaching, which obviously is communicating for a change. Well, uh, he was like, I, I don't really know how I do it. So they helped him reverse engineer it right. and it turned into the me, we, God, you, we, oh, that's what you do. And uh, I, I don't know if that's true, but a friend told me that, but you know, Andy's really good at that but a friend helped him codify what it really, how it broke down. And so that I think is, is the great calling that we all ought to have because if, because here's the thing, um, if, if, if you can't take that which you are successfully doing and parlay that to somebody else, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, a, it's a short-lived, your life only ministry. And I think that yeah. number one, I think the kingdom of God has greater plans for us. But number two, man, I want to have a 300 year ministry long after I'm gone, that the impact of my life is carrying on for a long time. But if you can't transfer it, it ends with you. It does. It does. Well, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk today. Uh, so here's the thing, Mac. We have three big buckets. Let's define it. Let's develop it. And then, of course, let's do it. Teaching people like, hey, what, what would we do here? How do we make this happen? So why are you passionate personally about developing volunteer leaders? Talk to us about that. Yeah, it really goes back to my story when I was a kid. You know, I was saved when I was nine years old. Uh-huh. Little country church in West Virginia. High attendance would have been 70. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I was just passionate for Christ. I was passionate for the church, but I was extremely painfully shy. Mm. 
Okay. And I knew I wanted to give my life uh, for kingdom causes, but yet didn't feel qualified because I was so shy. And even when I was like, well, I want to go to Bible college because I want to learn the Bible more. And I looked at my mom one day, I remember, you know, as a 17 year old, 18 year old standing in the driveway going, I can't go to Bible college. I'm, I'm not qualified. And she said, you're ready. That means you're ready. When you say that, that means you're ready, you know? And yeah. And so, um, but then, you know, I started trying some things in ministry and, you know, uh, uh, parents would come to me, Mac, you're a nice guy, but I was leading the youth, but you're just not a leader. And so that just was constantly coming at me. But then one day it was when I was in seminary, a pastor came to me, we were going to his church. He said, Hey, I'm going to give you a, a book, an audio an article. And I want you to meet with me every Tuesday. How about it? I want you to come in my office. I want you to ask me questions about that leadership topic. I'll answer them. And so uh, every Tuesday I'd show up and I'd say, okay, here's what I read. Here's what I listened to. Here are my questions. He would answer the questions. I would take notes, but then he changed it on me. And a few months into it, he was like, Hmm, now that's a good question. What do you think? <laughs> and he started forcing me to answer my own questions, made me think. And then after a few months, he changed it again. He's like, that is a great question. What do you think? You're the expert. And Josh, wow. over a period of time, yeah, it's for the first time, somebody, I'm not going to say developed me as a leader. He did. He discipled me as a leader. So over two years, he discipled me in leadership. And, you know, I, I've, I've always said I have three conversions. My, my conversion from lost to found. That's when I, that, you know, that's when Found's Jesus right. found yeah, me and right. surrounded my, surrounded, surrendered myself to him. My second conversion happened at that point. The second conversion was this pastor helped me go from doer to leader. I didn't know what a leader was. I didn't know how to lead. I was a great doer in the church, sure, but I didn't know how to lead. And he taught me, he discipled me how to lead. And then once I got into ministry uh, uh, later on, I had my third conversion moving from leader to developer. I had that conversion because of pain I was experiencing, uh, you know, just not having enough leaders. So all of that, put together my story just gives me a deep passion because I went from this kid who's extremely shy, painfully shy, wanting to make a difference for Christ to somebody pouring into me, believing in me, seeing something in me and developing, taking the, having the patience to develop it into me to see a transformation. And you know, I, I, I gotta say, first of all, it's, it's a powerful story. And I like the idea of those, those three kind of uh, born again moments, right? Or those three conversions. But that's cool. That's worthy of talking about. But I, I appreciate the idea that this individual, he was systematic about giving you materials, having oh. defined conversations, but then pivoting a little bit and then asking you to be the thinker and asking you to be. And, that, and the other thing that I would point out is I, I, it takes time. Developing oh. somebody else, it's not like, hey, I'll, I'll, let me meet you for three weeks for coffee and boy, right. you're going to be a leader. It, it, that's really just not the case. It, it is a long-term investment. And that's why I think some people aren't willing to be developers of leaders because it's yeah. a truly, it's a full steam, like two-year, three-year investment yeah. into another people. Now, that guy, is he still living, by the way, Mac? The guy that- He is. Yep. He's still alive. Yep. Okay. Well, he is currently- he is currently reaping kingdom dividends. 
So like, mm-hmm. let's say that we put some money into the stock market and it it's doing its thing passively and it kind of kicks us out some money, right, as yeah. a dividend. That fellow right there, whether he realizes it or not, he is earning mm-hmm. kingdom dividends off oh. of the work that you are doing. So yeah. his investment in you, but it takes time. I couldn't agree more. Time. Well, the next thing I want you to say to us is, what, like, what are some common mistakes when it comes to seeking to develop volunteer leaders where where could we find some pitfalls yeah i i think you alluded to one a moment ago we we want to develop leaders fast and in america we are so addicted to the speed we we want leadership development to be fast easy and linear it's not it's not right it's slow it's messy it's customized to the learner and so I will uh, be on site with a church or doing the virtual coaching with a church. And I'll say, hey, tell me about your current you know, development process. And they'll say, well, you know, we use a shadowing appro- approach or an apprenticing approach. I say, fantastic. I love that. That's great. Tell me, tell me what you're doing. Well, we will find a potential leader and we'll match them with one of our you know, best children's leaders and, and we'll tell them to follow them for two weeks. And after two <laughs> right. weeks, then we, then we give them their own group. I say, okay, now let, let, me, let me tell you what that's like, okay? That's the equivalent of taking somebody who's never played baseball, putting them in a batting cage, throwing two pitches and putting them in the game. They're going to strike it out. Yeah. Just strike out. That's not... <laughs> It's not yeah, good. It takes time. It's it takes not time. good. It, ta- it takes a season for a leader to season. So I say, hey, you want to take at least a semester, you know, or a trimester, sure. whatever, however your church's rhythms are, you know, so get them observing, get them apprenticing under somebody uh, in, in August and September. And then, you know, near the end of December, beginning of December, begin to assess, have they developed, have they grown? Are, are they are that, that point of readiness? So one of the things our coaches church is on is, you know, if it's August and you're asking how many leaders do we need this semester, you're, you're asking too late. the wrong question. That's it's right. too late. Yeah. The question in August is how many leaders do we need in January? Then you right. figure that number out. You you subtract the current numbers you uh, leaders you have, and you take that extra number and say, okay, wow, we need six more in January. Well, let's find you know three people that they can uh, apprentice under over this semester yeah. and match those six people uh, potential leaders with three of your existing leaders and let them shadow for a let them apprentice for a full semester. And that's hard. And that's hard, hard. because all of a sudden. You know, myself as a as a staff pastor, I felt my back up against the wall and I'm like, son, yeah. I need we need people to to, to run right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I have made the mistake and we've talked about this on the podcast and through the lead volunteers materials that that you can you can prematurely put somebody into a seat and you've solved a quick problem. You think you have at least, but you've created a massive long-term. You, you've created future problems for yourself. Um, I, yeah. I call it. I call it recruiting by desperation, and that's a that's a really yeah. bad place to be. Oh, oh! At so many churches, you you hear this, you see this. You know, I mean, you and I both work with a lot of churches, and yep. they're so desperate in this season for more volunteers, more leaders, and they're standing up on the stage. Hey, we need leaders, or they'll put a <laughs> sign up saying, "Hey, we need leaders. We're gonna have to close this room if we don't get more leaders." Right. I'm like, that's like waving a white flag saying, come, come join my sinking ship. 
You right. Know, come get aboard my sinking ship. Nobody's going to want to do that. That's exactly so right. You've you got to find where's God working? What is your vision? Where's God working? Tell the story, describe the future, show people how they can make a difference in your area of ministry. Uh, it's really interesting. Sometimes when I'm coaching a, gr- a group, they'll bring that issue up and I'll say, okay, pretend that I'm a potential uh, leader in your area right, ministry. Right. Just, let's, let's role play it real quick, just in front of everybody, real, real quick, just role play it, recruit me. And uh, painful. Oh, this is, oh, it's this painful. Is... <laughs> it's so painful. I had a church call me and uh, I was going on site and they said, hey, when you know, when you come this time, can you do a, a little two hour training with our staff on recruiting? I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. So I started the day with the staff and I did an exercise, uh, did this wall post it where they had to do sure. some numbers and names and things like that. And uh, and I was studying it and I was having them do another exercise. I came back to them. It was about halfway through. I said, OK, here's the deal. good news. You do not have a recruitment problem. Yo, you don't have a recruitment problem. You have a retention problem. That's right. And there's a difference. And you're, the way you're recruiting is leading to a problem with retention. That's right. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, but we, when we recruit out of desperation, that's what happens. Well, the other funny thing that you said that I think is just so worthy of drawing out more. You said that, yes, it, it, it takes time and all this, but, but it also, it's a personalized, individualized approach, not... Yeah. A, a cookie cutter. So the, w- what words did you use? And help us draw that out a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a personalized approach. Okay, so let, let's look in, it's very interesting, in the, uh, Jesus started his public ministry, he's baptized around fall of 26 AD. Okay? Yes. Okay. Um, and it wasn't, until the fall of 27 AD that he looked at Peter, James, Andrew, and John and said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers and men. Very few people understand that. Oh, I thought, hey, Jesus was baptized, went to his temptation. He said, hey, you 12, come follow me. That's no, right. no, 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 no. It did not happen it that was, way. No, and it was one year before he said, hey, come follow me. That was an invitation into followership, not an invitation into leadership. It right. was about four to five months later, he invited Matthew to come follow him. Right. Some of the others, we don't even know when. And so uh, so it wasn't this all at one time uh, type of thing, except when he invited them into leadership. Right. And so it was 21 months into his public ministry. Jesus went on a mountain. He prayed all night, which is an important yes, part it of is. that story, you know? It and is. so here... He spent a year getting to spend a year doing his ministry. He was watching, seeing who was showing up, who was hungry, who was showing up, who was being faithful. Then he began to recruit some of those as disciples, as followers. He again, he that's when the Pharisee opposition began to intensify. Right. Are these guys going to stick around or are they not? And then it was nine months after he called Peter, James, Andrew, and John. Nine months later, goes up on the mountain, prays, comes down from the mountain. And this Luke tells it, and it's fascinating the way he tells it. He says, and Jesus called his disciples to himself, and from among them he chose 12. There you go. So there were yeah. more than 12 who were more his disciples. 12. Yeah. And at that moment, he went, you, 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 11, 12. You 12, come follow me. Everybody else, you're dismissed. You can go home. 
Jesus was highly strategic in the way he recruited volunteers and even more strategic in the way he recruited his leaders. And, uh, and so we've got to learn to slow down, think through the processes. You know, one of the things I help churches do is build a process map for onboarding and training yes. their, their leaders because they don't have one. And uh, we just got to be more intentional, more relational. And that's the thing. People go, oh, no, you want us to build out a process map for onboarding people? Doesn't that feel a little impersonal? Yes, it does. If you if you execute it in an impersonal manner. Exactly. So what I say yeah. to people is a process allows you the, the, the structure by which you can be the most personal. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. And, and I always tell too, hey, listen. The onboarding process is the microfibers of discipleship. Yeah, okay? it's the it's, real it's, fine stuff. Oh, it's the real fine stuff because what you're doing, somebody, when you say, "Hey, would you uh, would you like to be our you know uh, fifth and sixth grade girls small group leader?" and that person prays about it and comes back says yes, they're not just saying yes to you; they're saying yes to Jesus. That's and right. Now, I, it's my responsibility to steward that, and if yeah. I don't have a process for stewarding it. I drop something. You're fumbling all of the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My fumbles leads to their failure. It does. That that right there, my fumbles leads to their failure. And then all of a sudden, as a leader, you're like, why? You know, these people are just not committed. No, son, it's actually you. If you really want to do the math, this is a a leadership failure in your court. Um, Yes. And I think another thing that's important that you mentioned, and I have, I have, I have studied this through the scriptures. I don't think the majority of people understand this. That that Peter, James, John, and the and Andrew, like they didn't just Jesus just didn't walk up to them on an absolute random day and say, "Come follow me." Right. I mean, he. I mean, they were a part of the crew. He knew them. It wasn't a. He knew them. He knew them for a year. That's I got goosebumps. I, I wish people understood this more because yeah. it isn't people are like, wow, I've heard this preached. I've heard this shared. Jesus must have been so charismatic that he walked mm. up and, and these people dropped everything to follow him. Did not happen that way. No, uh-uh. not at all. Not at all. And so it comes down to in, in, a, in a really intentional way, knowing people. That's why I tell people, listen, your first year and a half is is the hardest in a brand new setting because they don't know you, you don't know them, and it's out of relationship that you really can do your best and greatest work. Well, any other common mistakes before we hit how do we pull this off, you know, for and do this ourselves? Any final common mistakes? Yeah, I, I would say, uh, you know, so, I mean, you see it too. So many people will identify potential leaders or volunteers and and they get them to say yes, and they put them in a position without any training whatsoever. Right. And, uh, you know, so they'll, they'll go, oh, we need a new leader. We need a new leader. And they look around in the pews and they go, oh, that person's not ready. That person's not ready. Oh, oh, that person's ready. And they grab that person and put them in the seat. And they go, hey, pastor, I just developed a new leader. No, you didn't. <laughs> uh, you, you, <laughs> you did leadership placement, not leadership development. And there's a big difference between the two. And this is what's hurting the church uh, today is we have defaulted to leadership placement rather than leadership development and uh and it and it hurts it hurts those those people that you just placed 
That's mm-hmm. the really, that's the worst part is because that person who may feel this initial surge of excitement, they may even feel a calling from the Holy Spirit. But once yeah. they're in that setting and they feel so ill-equipped, it's like holding yeah. that number two pencil and you don't know any of the answers. And you're right. like, no matter how hard I squeeze this pencil, I'm, I, I'm, I just don't know what I'm doing. And that's a terrible place to be. And so all of a sudden yeah. then they begin to question whether or not they heard from God, whether I was right. like this, I think I made a mistake. No, you didn't make a mistake. You've just not right. been developed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and you said this earlier, you know, what, what happens is we recruit somebody, we put them in that position and then they drop out one month, two months later. And we go, oh, I knew they weren't committed. And, <laughs> and we blame their commitment when really we've got to, we got to look at, you know, really what happened. That's right. They they did have the commitment. I didn't do the development. And so they didn't have the competencies. I never developed the competencies in them. And because I didn't develop the competencies in them, they didn't have the confidence. And because they didn't have the confidence, that's why they quit. People don't like to fail. No, they don't like to feel like they're doing a bad job. So that lack of confidence is what pushes people uh, causes people to push away. We blame their commitment when it's really our fault because we didn't uh, develop their competencies to give them the uh, the 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 confidence they needed. It's so true. And and the the other thing that I, I again I think is so important to point out is that this is you know we deal with a Peter way different than we deal with an Andrew. And you yeah. have to get to know individual people. Well, close us off here. How do you? go about doing this? Like what would be a step one, a step two, if somebody's like, okay, wow, get it, Mac, I feel called out in an appropriate way. I see that the problem really lies with me. Where should we start? Yeah, I always start with the philosophy of development. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the right philosophy, you won't have the Mm -hmm. right behaviors. I agree with that. And so, uh, you know, so this is what I call the operating system. It's the triad of development three overlapping factors. So years ago I was going, okay, how do people change? How do people change? Mm-hmm. And I begin to realize, oh, okay, it's three overlapping factors. First, there's knowledge. So if I want to have a great golf swing, I have to read an article on five steps to the perfect golf swing. That doesn't make me a great golfer. It gives me the knowledge. You but know, it's a good start. Me. It's a good start. Yeah. Then there's experience. I have right. to try the thing that I've been learning, you know? Yes. So I grab a nine iron, I swing a thousand times in my backyard. And that still doesn't make me a great golfer. Right. Uh, in fact, if I'm swinging wrong, then, and I'm embedding that bad habit into my swing. It's getting worse. Work. Yeah. Oh, there's so many small group leaders, you know, children, students, and adults who are, who've been leading groups for years and, with bad habits and they're getting worse as small group <laughs> leaders, not better. Right. And so it's the third uh, factor that, uh, that we have to have. So there's knowledge experience and then there's coaching. And right. so the coaching is okay. I read the article. It helps me think about the five uh, uh, steps of the perfect golf swing. I go out in my backyard and I try it. I swing a thousand times, but now this time my coach is walking, uh, watching me and he's talking back to me going, ah, 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 head down, ah, yeah. left arm straight, bend those knees, follow through. An outsider, now, an outsider's observing. Outside. Yes. Yeah. And so, so you got to start with the, with that philosophy. Uh, I, 
and and then uh, let me illustrate the second thing this way. We uh, and again, these aren't steps yet. But the second thing is we've got to look for uh, for willingness, not just readiness. So wow. Uh, Years ago, a, a young guy in my small group came to me and said, Mac, I want to do what you do. I said, what do you mean you want to do what I do? And he said, I want to lead a small group the way you do. Man, we love each other. We're, you know, we got community with each other. We're growing spiritually. We're serving together. I mean, all these things. And he said, I want to be able to do that. The whole, Josh, the whole time he's telling me this, I'm standing there smiling at him. But in my mind, I'm thinking, you can't do what I do. You're not ready. Right. And, and. And so he persisted. So finally I said, okay, Roger, here's what we're going to do. You show up my house 15 minutes early and plan on staying 15 minutes late. Sure. So then I didn't know at that point, I didn't know what I was doing. And so he shows up 15 minutes early. I said, all right, Roger, uh, one of the skills you have to have as small group leaders, you have to learn to build biblical community. All right, here are the three keys to building biblical community. The doorbell's about to ring. Let's go downstairs. And you just follow me and you watch me, watch sure. how I interact with people. So we did. Group ended. We went upstairs. I said, what did you see me do? Well, what would you have done differently? What questions do you have? And uh, what did you learn tonight? So we talked about it. Well, the next week he shows up. I said, Roger, uh, you got to learn how to facilitate discussion. Part of that is being able to ask an icebreaker. Here's the icebreaker I'm going to ask tonight. Here's why I ask icebreakers. Here's how I find good icebreakers. Here's the intent of icebreakers. Let's go down and watch. Came upstairs afterwards. We debriefed it. Josh, six months later, I'm looking at Roger going, you're ready. Right. You're ready. But he so, showed up. His willingness to be there 15 early, 15 late. Yep. That was yep. a huge piece. Yep. The willingness was there. It's my responsibility to develop the readiness. Now, here's when you ask when you ask churches, you know, hey, what's your leadership development strategy? Uh, you, you get a couple points. One is, hey, we don't have one. You know, just to be honest, we don't have one. <laughs> yeah. uh, others are going to tell you hey, ours is organic, which means they, they don't, don't have, have one. one. Yeah, right. they don't have one. But on occasion, you'll run into somebody that says, well, we use the I, I do, you watch, you do, yes. I watch, you know, that. And I said, that's great. That's great. I just, I've never seen anybody execute it the right way. That's sure. the problem. It's I, not a bad system. It's a good system. I've just never sure. seen anybody do Yeah. I said, Here, here's the missing piece. Okay. It's like, for example, th this is a, a, a bad example. Okay. All right, Josh, you've never preached before. So, um, I'm going to preach this week and you watch. Okay. Now next week you're going to preach and I'm going to help. That's right? where the fail happens right boom, there. There's the fail because, yep. because again, we're trying to, we're trying to, 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 you know, smash this thing together. And yep. the, the idea also that I've seen a lot of leaders go, okay, I see, you watch, we talk, I watch, they say, okay, well that's, there's, there's your third week. And then no, 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 this could be 10 months of them <laughs> right. watching. This could be yeah. four months of you preparing with them a message that they aren't even going to preach yet. It's right. a very protracted process. And that, yeah. again, this is not McDonald's your way right away. That's the slow, American messy, fail. Slow, messy, and customized. Yeah. Customized. And so, yeah. And so what you do is, you know, uh, I've, I've written a, a book series called the Discipling Leaders Series. And yeah. it's for every level of the pipeline. But basically what I've done is identified the, the competencies needed for leaders, for, for uh, leaders of leaders, for leaders of a department, leaders of the organization. And, 
and said, okay, here are the competencies we have to disciple people in. Right. You know? I mean, and, to make it real simple, you, yeah. with the fellow that you invited in, I think his name was Roger. Roger uh -huh. came in and you said, okay, step number one, it's about greeting people the right way. Right. Because what, you, you, what he said is, I want everything that you have, Mac. And you said, right. well, if you want everything, the everything is a whole bunch of small things placed together that are done repetitively and organically and kind of yeah. in the moment, I know what to do. So it's like, so, right? It's a small little pieces that you continue to put together. Those are the competencies. An icebreaker, yeah. that's a competency. Asking yeah. good questions, that's yeah. a competency. Um, yeah. Following up with people, that's a competency. And so all of a sudden, you don't teach that in two weeks. You teach mm -hmm. that over, good gracious, maybe eight months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, takes, it takes a while. And, uh, but we're in such a hurry. We are. Yeah. Well, Mac, this has been a fantastic interview. I'm super impressed. I think you and I are, are, are cousins. We think a lot of the same ways. This is very, 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 we do very similar things professionally as well. So yes. very, very, very grateful. This has been a fantastic interview and, and I'm just impressed. I'm impressed with what you do. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, Mac Lake Online at uh, uh, Mac Lake Online what, uh, dot com. Sorry, yes, uh, or multiplygroup.org. Either one of those organization. I'm uh, Mac Lake on Instagram. M A C L A K E. So that's a uh, good name, buddy, right there. It's got some zip. It's got some ring. Nice and simple, right? I, I can spell. I can spell it. <laughs> well, uh, I've I've been to your website. And it's good stuff. I mean, you're, you're doing great, great, great work. And again, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I think what you shared was of great, great, great value. Thank you so much, Josh. Great to be with you today. Absolutely. Well, gang, this has been just yet another episode of the Lead Volunteers Podcast. Such good stuff from Mac Lake today. I hope that you can take something away. And remember, it's not going to be fast. Gang, I'm so grateful that you were here. We'll catch you on the next one.